Podcast Time Out for Mental Health is where we speak to sports figures, mental health experts, and leadership gurus about their experiences as it relates to mental health issues associated with depression, masculinity, and suicide. These sensitive topics are often swept under the rug, as detailed in my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. Getting a handle on a man's masculinity will improve relationships, both personally and in the workplace. Everyone needs some support to ask for help when they feel off or a bit disoriented and foggy and don't know what is really going on with them. If they do not seek help, their behavior can turn dangerous, including alcoholism, drug and pill addiction, anger, fighting, violence, and in some cases, death by suicide. On Time Out for Mental Health, we want to uncover these issues so men and women can live a happy and healthy life, even though they do suffer from mental health issues. With us today is Tom Corner. He's the preeminent guide and life influencer for leaders, students, athletes, and employees on getting out of their own way in business and life to achieve the impossible. Because nothing is impossible and there is a possibility in everything, according to Tom. I like that one. We're honored that Tom is sharing some of his time with us today. Tom, how are you? Hey, Tim. I'm great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for the intro. You betcha. Now, you grew up um, in a family. You mentioned that abuse was a re- seemed to be a regular practice, but you've learned quite a bit from that. And after a very successful business career in hospitality and the finance world, Like myself, you decided to be of service to others. Can you tell us a little about your story of how you got here today and take your time? Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Well, um, I wouldn't necessarily, you you choose the the term abuse. There wasn't any abuse in my upbringing. Um, Although, I wrote my memoir, Borrowed Eyes and Feet, Finding Enlightenment After Rage, really to understand why I carried a lot of anger and quite a bit of self-doubt, which maybe most people may not or didn't notice on the outside. But it's interesting you you use the word abuse. um, And the way you use it is not what most people, most people think of it in the way they say here abuse and they say, Oh, wow, that's awful. That didn't happen in my household, but I'll tell you right now, this is why I wrote my, my memoir because as a young, as a young child, when my parents got divorced, I wrote my memoir to understand why I became who I was and carried anger and carried this, this, Oh, what was me and my suffering, which once you have an awakening, it's it's not it's not true we don't need to carry this suffering and and blame with us but it's for me it was a matter of understanding i had to understand why i was that way and it i i believe it was because when i was a young child my parents got divorced there's nothing wrong with that although 
when you're six, five, six, seven years old, your foundation of stability and safety, if that's jeopardized and it's maybe no longer there because understanding that parents get divorced, they have to figure out a way to support their kids. So their focus is diluted. But the, what I say, the support from the adult figureheads in my life at that point, were not able, they were not able to, in my eyes, love me as I wanted to love them. And so I wrote the book, Tim, because I wanted to understand why I felt that way. And we carry this blame and anger saying, well, it's my parents' fault because of X, Y, and Z. It's not. If we awaken and understand that, well, I, I have the ability to change. So the abuse, as you intro, the abuse was my abuse. Most people don't see that, right? I abused myself mentally because from an ego standpoint, um, I had to survive and I pushed people out. Even though my parents were still there and they loved me, the other adult figurehead step-parents in my, in my life at that point couldn't, I believe, extend that love to me. I put up a wall and I started to abuse myself, right? I, I cut myself and that's why I wrote the book because I cut myself. And when you say that, people say, oh, wow, what's wrong with you? That's awful. Well, you know what? And then they say it's a female thing. It's not a female thing. Cutting and self-mutilation, men do it. I have a friend who does it, but you can't talk about it because if you do, there's something wrong with you. And that's where, especially as a male, uh, I, you're, there's no way in heck you'll talk about that, Tim, because if you do, that, sh that says you're vulnerable and you're weak. And I would like to say and challenge people to say, no, actually, if you're willing to face your fears and say, you know what? Yeah, maybe I felt vulnerable and weak and I want to find my true strength, which is love. And to, to love my brothers or my sisters and love those who I maybe hated my life because I blamed them, that's really, really difficult to do. So, um, you know, from, a, again, abuse, there was no abuse. Maybe it was from a support standpoint, maybe it was mental abuse, but I did most of it to myself. And if you can't break away from that, you, it, maybe it never ends. Or maybe you need to bring someone on board, like a life coach that can help, which I brought on board. Well, I certainly uh, relate to that. I, uh, I didn't know that I had severe depressive disorder that's reoccurring. And um, that was the cause of my addictions. And, you know, I, I was ready to give up as well. I had a butcher knife in my hand right on my wrist and you know, I, I chicken out at the last minute, but I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And personally, I was abused by my family, but I didn't know, I didn't realize it until I got out of the house. And I covered that up with a 41 year run on, on marijuana. And um, so, I understand what you're saying. It's um, we 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 do abuse ourselves, and uh, it, it's a challenge to get over that and get on the other side of that, because self love is, you know, 
really key to being healthy. So, yes. Well, let's let me frame our discussion. We'll drill down into specifics. Um, when you were growing up, did you ever think you'd be such an influencer in all these areas that you you've delved in, as well as the current areas you're immersed in? That's that's an interesting question. I've always always had this vision that I wanted to help people, um, to help myself become better and help them become better. So in a way, yes, but I didn't know exactly what it would look like. Um, and it's an, it's an interesting journey, Tim, because, uh, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about in Tim Ferriss's book, people say you're a self-made man. And he says, I'm not a self-made man. I rode on the shoulders of giants to become who I am. And all of this suffering, it's a matter of really identifying what we believe is the self, which actually leads to suffering. If we're able to realize that we're actually more than just who we think we are in our human form, which people have a hard time seeing that. But if, if you're able to, to step outside and look at, okay, who am I? What role do I play? What's my part? Um, and you're able to step outside of that and see how we contribute to the whole, and especially now. So over the past year, the whole world's completely changed. And it's, it's become somewhat... Uh, it's become frightening, but um, no, I never really thought that I'd be here talking on podcasts about people, about writing my, what I'm working on my seventh book. No, I never did. I always had an idea that I wanted to write. I always had an idea that I wanted to connect and help people. And here's the other thing too, is it's interesting because then um, Wayne Dyer used to say, used to talk about this and I enrolled in what I would call is Automobile University, which Zig Ziglar canned years ago. I, when I travel a lot, I would listen to Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn, all these salespeople. I would listen to Dr. Wayne Dyer. And, you know, Wayne Dyer said in one of his talks, you know, we go around until somebody says something and then we say, well, you know, we pull out our hurts. Do you know who, what I went through? And do you know what happened to me? And we carry this baggage with us and that we create our own label. And then we carry it around with us when people upset us. And, I, you know, I talk about visualizing my suicide in my book. I meditated on slitting my wrist. I had to meditate on it. It was just a meditation. But it's scary. But I'm no longer that person. The, the challenge is, is we identify ourselves with those past hurts. And who are we without them? It's really scary to just walk away. And then, you wanna, and then people want to say, well, you know, my parents did this to me or, or this happened to me. So this is the way I am. And we can never break that cycle. We, to your point, we have to be able to, to really face it. And we have to be able to forgive ourselves and forgive other people. But forgiveness is really hard. I believe in order for us to forgive, we actually have to forget. And that's a challenge because being human is amazing. 
but the challenge with it too is we tend to not forget and we don't forgive. And for me and anybody else, I don't talk about my book that much because that's not me anymore. And I don't want that to be me. I, I mean, I want to help people to say, look, yeah, I'm not going to carry the, the, what I talk about in my book, again, the, the hundreds of scars on my body from cutting myself. Like, that's just sad. I don't need, that's not me. And it's a matter of saying, well, if you're there, well, where did it come from? And to face it and to say, okay, let's look past that. Instead of blaming and want to be angry at my stepfather, who I used to be angry at, I'm like, well, if I understand them, if I understand these people and why they did what they did or behaved the way they behaved, then it becomes clear. Because for the most part, if that happens and we're abused or people treat us poorly, it's probably because that's their belief system and the way they were brought up. So there's this cycle that continues. And then it will never break unless we're strong enough and brave enough to say, wait a second, that's not me. I, don't, I didn't, I didn't des- yeah, I didn't deserve that. That's not me. How do I look past that and then say to people, you know what? Let's try to find that love. But it took me years. I talk about Wayne Dyer. I talk about listening to his, reading his books, listening to his recordings, I mean, then you do, I did Louise Hayes mirror work and people laugh at that. They do skits on it on Saturday Night Live um, about how silly it is. But most people, if they're really truthful, they can't look in the mirror and tell them they love themselves. They'll laugh and mock it because they're afraid, but they're, they're not connected enough to actually really realize that they're afraid to say, well, I love you and look in the mirror and look at yourself. And it's really hard, but that's a step is to, breaking through that. And for me, I was always looking for, we're always looking, me, maybe many other people looking for the approval and acceptance in others to validate who I am. And that's such a flawed approach. It's yeah. so flawed. And from a, and I'm a father, I have three kids from a parenting expect, uh, from a parenting perspective, I'm doing my best. And I tell my kids, I'm like, I'm new at this. I've never done this before. I'm telling you what I know based on what I've been what I've learned and it doesn't mean it's right now, just because I say you should do something a certain way, you can think on your own and challenge me out of respect and out of love to say, I don't know. I don't agree with that dad. But, and if I raise them to say, well, you need to live up to my expectations. I'm setting, I'm really letting them down. I want them to rise up and become who they are and follow their path, follow their energy, follow their heart. But most people are living their lives based on the expectations of others. And then when it's not met, then we're a failure. And then maybe we go back into our hole and we abuse ourselves. So it's a process. It takes time. And the fact that people want to look on TV or social media and have that instant fix, it's a lie. Maybe I shouldn't say it's a lie, but it's not going to happen instantly. It's going to happen gradually. And when it occurs to him, it happens suddenly, but it's taken time. It took me years to be here to talk to you today. And we have to go through these, these clouds of suffering, these storms and, and we carry it with us because that's what the mind does and what the ego does. And it carries it with us. And we think it keeps us safe 
from that harm, but it, maybe it makes us worse. And what's harder is to, to face it and to come to grips with it. All right. Let me ask you what, so then what drives you <clears throat> to have such a, <clears throat> excuse me, a high level of excellence in, in this area? It, it's because it's my personal journey. I, 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 I carried, like I said, I carried a lot of anger and I needed to understand why. And so it's been my journey. I've had all these I've had all these coaches and mentors. I've never met them, but they were with me all along in the car on in automobile university. <laughs> and I, I wrote my first book because I wanted to write a book. I didn't know what it would be. And it was my first children's book because I realized that if I'm going to, if I could help my kids become better and teach them, maybe, you know what, I'll write a book. If I want to write a book, I could actually share those life lessons with other kids. So the first book was really based on goal setting. I would write business plans and people say, well, goal setting is great. And other people say goal setting is a bunch of garbage. It doesn't work. And they're both right. It just depends on our belief and how much we stay focused on that goal because the goal changes. And, the, you know, so that was the first one, List for Santa, List for Life. And it was based on this character, Kylie, because the first time I ever wrote my first list of goals was my first Christmas list or holiday list. And then the character turns it into her list for life, things she wants for herself and others. Um, and then the next one was positive thoughts, positive life focusing on affirmation. So this is my journey. And if I could share it with kids to change their mindset sooner in life, that's what I want to do. And so I just started writing. And then I wrote my third book, Life is Fine When You're Aligned. And along with that was my wife's memoir honoring her triumph over stage four cancer, because I think it scared the shit out of, excuse my language, scared the heck out of me more than it did her. But I wrote that, I didn't realize at the time, Tim, because I needed to make peace with it. I was afraid to say the C word, cancer. But there's so many people that have it. And now this, is, this has become my journey because there's more to it than just, okay, what I see on the camera and I see you and I see myself. There's so much more to it. And it's really hard to tap into it if we carry resistance and anger and we're distracted by so many things that actually don't necessarily help and to kind of quiet our minds. So I've had a life coach, had a life coach for years. I've meditated. I've gone down this path because I realized, which I mentioned in my book, Tim, a path of anger was no longer a life worth living. So if I'm going to end that life of anger, there's only two choices. And I, you know, which is harder I don't know. Do you face your fears and, and be, you're scared to death that people are going to ridicule you? They're going to laugh at you. They're going to mock you. Or do you just end it physically? And you know what? That's not an easy task. <laughs> it's, but, you know, so I decided to say, you know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to face my fears. I'll be ridiculed. People will mock me. They'll laugh at me. They'll laugh at the mirror work. And I'm okay with that because there's other people that I'm helping. And those people that mock it, they're just, they're disconnected. They're just afraid to acknowledge it, but I'm not going to push them and say, well, stop mocking me because you're just not awake. You're not awakened yet, but they're there. If they're there and they're hearing me, I'm planting a seed. So it's, and we're all here 
to, I believe, raise a vibrational level of love and healing more than ever before, especially in the past year, because there's so much that's going on. People need to wake up to, you know, themselves and the energy of love that brings us together and helps us heal. So in, in your experiences, was there one time that you can put your finger on that something was most gratifying for you so far? Hmm. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, what's most gratifying is the, it's just my family that, you know, through my journey, it, it hasn't been easy. I've made difficult decisions and decisions that, that maybe weren't the smartest at the time. I'm just happy and thankful for the love of my family. Um, they're always there, no matter how much we might disagree. And that's, you know, talking from my parents to my siblings and to my wife and the love and support she gives and my kids. Like I'm so thankful for my kids because they're, I always say they're my greatest teachers and they kids. We should listen to kids more often than reprimand them because list kids come from, I believe, you know, we enter this, we become human when we're born. We come into this with no resistance, no judgment, no anger. And as we grow and we experience things, we learn to judge people. We learn to hate. We learn to fear. And kids uh, come from a place of pure love. And they'll tell you things that are the truth and they're honest. And more often than not, they get yelled at. They don't say that. Like my daughter yesterday said, Dad, why are you being so mean? And she's like, you're mean. Why are you being so mean? I said, and then I, and I know if you can't separate yourself from it, you say, well, don't you talk to me that way. And I, and I got, <laughs> I got mad at her. And, and then I went back to her and I told her, I said, listen, um, you're right. I wasn't mad at you. I was mad because I knew you were right. Most people aren't, you have to awaken to that, to be willing to say, you know what, I, you're right about that. And I was being mean. And I need to understand why I'm being mean. And that's a matter of being able to separate yourself because we become upset based on our belief system. I believe we become upset based on time. How many times do people get upset because they're late? And I, there's a chapter in my upcoming book called Time is Killing Me. Time is actually something that humans made up. Time technically doesn't exist. That's right. My question in my book is how could a day in Mar on Mars be nearly an hour longer than a day on Earth? How is that possible? NASA had to create a Mars watch to keep track of time on Mars. So time is a great thing to track, but most of us, it kills us because it creates stress and anxiety. I'm going to be late for my interview with Tim. I'm going to be late for work. And then if you, if you become angry and you're in the car and you beep your horn and you give someone the finger, what are you angry at? And so this, I, I wrote a blog article uh, a couple of years ago called Hate Myself because I was walking. I was participating in Eckhart Tolle's School of Awakening. I'm walking my dogs in the preser nature preserve near my house. And it's a beautiful summer day. I shouldn't have a worry in the world, Tim. And I catch myself, birds are singing. It's a beautiful day. And my dogs are running around and I am so mad. 
And I realized, I said, how could I hate myself? How could I hate anything? You can't. It's impossible to hate yourself. It's the thoughts. What makes us upset is my perspective of who I am, my perspective of the people in my world, my perspective of the situation. And then my mind says, okay, you, well, we got to find someone to blame. So I'm going to hate myself or I'm going to hate you or I'm going to hate someone else. And really that's not possible because good. Well, <clears throat> I agree with you. Um, I, lately I've been in my readings, the word mindset has come up very frequently. And I really, I really get that. I really get that. Um, so obviously you, there've been times where you felt you got down on yourself. You thought things were too challenging. You brought that home. You had to deal with your feelings and emotions. How did you deal with that? Did you ask for help? Did you think, oh, I'll just take care of this. I'll sweep it under the rug for now and deal with it later. How'd you deal with that? That's a, uh, that's a fantastic question. And I'll tell you, I'm the type of person to sweep it under the rug. It's not the way to do it. No, no. And it's, it's, maybe it's a mindset thing. Again, I'm a guy. I got to figure it out myself. I don't need help, right? And that's, that maybe for some people that works. I thought it worked. But you sweep it under the rug. There, you're not sweeping it under the rug. You're actually internalizing it. That causes disease. That causes sickness. So if you understand, and again, my path is my children's book. I talk about my wife's triumph over physical disease with cancer. Mine's over mindset disease. Us becoming sick is because of toxic thoughts, toxic food in our body, toxic activities. So to answer your question is, yeah, I would repress it all. And I still catch myself because that's the way I was, I believe I was trained, but I go through that and my wife grounds me. She's like, communicate, you need to communicate. And I, and times I don't want to communicate. Communication is key, but we don't communicate or I wouldn't communicate because I would be afraid of what would be said. You can't do that. You shouldn't think that. So it's swept under the rug and good. Well, I agree with you. And I'm wondering if you, if it ever occurred to you that yesterday's and today's masculinity norms, the, the egotistical man, the good old boy network, the, I can handle this. I don't want to be pigeonholed as weak that that may have prevented you from asking for help for fear of being labeled as not a real man. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, in business and life. And again, that's why I wrote my book. I remember when I was going to write my, when I start, when I was going to publish my book, Bard Eyes and Feet, Finding Enlightenment After Age, I told a good friend of mine who we went to college together, what I was doing. And he said, you're going to put all that out there for the world to read and see? I said, yeah, because it created so much fear and anger for me that I was afraid of it. You know what? I might as well just put it out there and say, I'm going to try to wash my hands of it. And if I do, 
maybe it'll help other people that are going through something similar. And I believe it, 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 it does, but it absolutely is a mindset. It's a masculine thing. Your men aren't supposed to cry, all that stuff. And it's, and it's a cultural thing and it's in life and it's in business. And um, yes. And again, you know, most men will mock that and say, I don't need to do that. And I have plenty of friends who are guys that will do that, which is fine. And I'm not going to try to change them. But the, the great thing is that, you know, you're doing this and I'm doing this and they see it and they're like, okay, maybe, maybe there is something to be said. And there's more of this going on in the world. It doesn't mean you have to become some, you know, softy who's just crying all the time and loving and hugging people. But there, it, it, it takes a lot more. It's so much easier for me to just get angry, Tim. So much easier for me to just pound my chest and tell you to go take a hike and get angry. And get into a fight. For me, I could do that. And I did. I pushed people away for years. And that's the facade I built up. But if I hurt somebody, I would carry that hurt with me because I could, I knew I did. And so for me to just come around, you know, and I, I wrote a, an article and I mentioned it in my, one of my books, hit him with a hug. Because my oldest daughter at the time was riding the bus. She was in second grade and there was this boy on the bus who was a jerk, kept picking on her. And this is the dynamic. We live our lives, we carry our past, and then we impose that on our kids. And my daughter's telling me the story. I remember sitting with her and she's like, this kid's picking on me. He won't leave me alone. And me, hit him. I'm saying, I'm thinking hit him, but I'm not saying it. And I'm just trying to work through it with her. And he, every day she's like, he, he ripped my homework, pulled my hood over my head. He won't leave me alone. Hey, how about you change your seat? I changed my seat. How about you do that? Da, 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 da. And she did all of it. Didn't work. And I said, well, if push comes to shove. And I didn't want to say this. I said, you punch, punch him right, in the, right between the eyes as hard as you can. And he'll never bother you again. And I, when I said those words to him, I said, oh, see, that's a mindset. We believe that that's the only way to solve it. And it's, wrong. Once I said that, I said, I can't, I said, I, I can't believe I just said that. And she said, dad, how about I tell the bus driver and then they can figure it out. Me listening to my kid. <laughs> so she told the bus driver and after <clears throat> that everything was fine, but I'm living in my past and we carry our past with us. And most people not for the good, but for the bad. And we want to say, well, that happened to me. So you, uh, you should kick his butt because I didn't do it when I was in school. And that's what happens. You go watch these sporting events with kids. Parents act insane because they're, they're so unconscious. And they're so afraid of just letting their kids be. And they want to take out their past hurts on someone else or even their kid because their kid is getting hurt like they did. And if you can't awaken to that, to your point, the cycle may not stop. And it starts with us, with you, with what you're doing, what I'm doing and saying, yeah, there is another way, but uh, you need someone else to help you with it. You need someone like you or me to come out and say, look, this is for real. Okay. But it takes time. And I, like I said, I had a life coach, but I carried a lot of these mentors with me, Louise Hay, Wayne Dyer, all these people. And I was, I'm fortunate to have, I believe hopefully be awakened to the fact that, yeah, I'm not the, a perfect father. I lose patience with my kids. I yell at my kids. I get upset. Like I said, my daughter said I was mean, but I'm willing to pause and say, well, whoa, time stands still. I'm like, what was I mad at? 
I wasn't, I was mad at all these things my mind was making up in my head that I should be mad about that. You know, you, you shouldn't do this. Or you shouldn't say that, or I'm going to be late. And then we take it out on someone else. Well, I'm taking on this challenge about masculinity and because 300 million people in the world have depression, but only half of them get help. And most of them are men. And it's happened too many times to me where I've had friends that I've had coffee with on a Wednesday or Thursday. And on the following Monday, I get a phone call from another friend says, Hey, did you hear about Billy? He hung himself on Saturday. And it's happened too many times. And the bottom line is, it takes more courage to ask for help. And there is a place and time to discuss with the right people what's going on with you and to say, Hey, I need help with this because these old masculinity norms are bullshit. And, and, you know, a real man takes on, he has the strength to take on challenging discussions with his children, his family, people he works with, his wife, whoever it is, knowing that it's not, you know, they're not going to like it, but the truth has to come out. And that's, to me, the strength of masculinity as well as the strength of carrying a piano down, down a set of stairs. But, you know, men, I believe, have to create this environment so that others, especially women and men, feel safe in their environment to say whatever they want to say with no fear of repercussion. Because that's, that's the only way we can come closer. You know, if, if, if men think that, you know, they're just going to be fingered as, you know, a, a feminized man, if they talk about their feelings and emotions, then they're never going to come out. They're always going to be under that rug, under the covers. And when, un, when depression goes unchecked, this is when risky behavior shows up. Alcoholism, drug addiction, pill addiction, violence, domestic violence, rape, shootings, and sometimes suicide. And you always see in, in, in these reports on when they have these mass shootings, the last thing they talk about is, oh, by the way, the police, the FBI, in their file did have something that mentioned that this person had mental health issues. And this is my point, you know, if we know that people have mental health issues, we have to get them help. They might need a, a push, they might need to be sat down and talked to, but we can no longer just turn our head and say, well, it's not my responsibility. We're all in this together as we're finding out with this code and we have to help each other. So that's the mission I'm on. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad you're doing it because it has uh, to be talked about. It has to be talked about. And here's, I mean, my take on it too is, um, you know, I, the news 
News is negative. I don't yep. watch news. News is their ratings are all in negativity. So a lot of these you know, shootings, they glorify it and they wonder why there's more because they glorify it. And I think that you know, people, if you can't see through that, that's, that's troublesome. But where people don't speak up is, and this is where my life coach has been fantastic because she's, people don't, if you say you have mental health problems, then I'm not telling you, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> because, and they, because they don't want to do that. They don't want to be labeled. And the challenge is finding the right person who can help. And look, you know what? This is the way I feel without saying, well, yeah, well, you've got this, that, the other thing. You're mentally unstable. And then we need to prescribe something for you. That's dangerous. And why I believe people don't speak up because they don't want to be labeled. Right. And I know this firsthand because I was in college and I was seeing a psychiatrist and it was all, it was all labels. And I knew I'm like, don't label me. I, I, I know I'm going to be fine. Even though I'm going through this, it looks crazy on the outside. I know I'm safe and I'm okay. I'm not harming other people. I'm really harming myself, which looks awful, but you're there labeling me. That's why people don't talk about it because then you're labeled. And my life coach is great because she just holds the focus for me. I tell her, I tell her all this, everything. And I'll yell at her. And I, I do this on the phone. She's 2,500 miles away, but I'll do it on the phone. I will yell at her, Tim. And I'm not yelling at her. I'm yelling at my flawed perspective. And it's creating this anger. She asks a simple question. And I go off because it triggered it. And then she says, that's not what I said, Tom. And I, and I come back down. I say, oh, my gosh, that's not what she said. And she knows that my outbursts aren't directed at her. My outbursts are directed at my flawed perspective of the way things are, how I wanted to hear it. And, but, again, it took me years to break through that. And it was because of a life coach. It was because of all these other mentors. And it was because I was tired of being angry and I wanted to find another way. And it was because of meditation and mindset, all of these things. But – you know, it's a matter of if you find the right person who can hold the focus for you, maybe you're in, in private company and saying, yeah, you know what? I'm, these were my conversations. I'm in the corporate world and I cannot stand the toxicity in the workplace and I cannot stand it. And I do not stand for it. And that's the conversations that we would have. That's my next book is about the toxicity in the workplace. And it's, and you're spot on, but people won't do it because they're afraid they'll be labeled or that, okay, and then they're going to be an out, they'll be an outcast. They'll be outcast. And um, to, to your point, it's really true strength resides in those who are willing to stand up and say, you know what? Uh, yeah, I did carry this anger. I did carry this frustration and to awaken because if you're in a leadership position, you probably take that frustration out on your people and you may not know it, but the, I believe the work world has become so toxic and this was well before the pandemic that you have people in male people in positions of leadership who were brought up in that masculine way, which there's, that's okay. But there's a point where if you're abusing that power and your people are actively disengaged at work, which 60 over 60% of people are not engaged at work. And then they say, well, uh, it's like that everywhere. It shouldn't be. Somebody needs to stand up and to say, <clears throat> look, yes, let's look at this a different way. 
but it takes time and it takes the strength to do what you're doing to do it and one podcast at a time. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. The, in the workplace, it is really bad exactly for the reasons that you talked about the good old network, good old boys network is alive and well. The vice president is going to hire his buddy who he trusts and he likes, and he goes out and drinks with because he can communicate with him and he won't get any blowback. And then that guy who's not a hundred percent productive, you know, he's got a, a team that he supervises that is, you know, men and women, uh, different race. And he doesn't know how to deal with it. A woman who wants to express herself and contribute to the team gets shot down, gets interrupted. She goes to the, the leader and says to the guy, look, I've got some great ideas here that I want to contribute. And he says, yeah, but you're a woman. And thus the woman is in a difficult place. She can go to HR, but she doesn't know whether she's going to get fired or she has to just sit in the back and scribble and doodle on her notebook. Or she can go find another environment that's more conducive for her and she can exercise her abilities. And this is where men are not doing their job. They have to provide that environment so that everybody has the opportunity to contribute and maximize productivity. And what happens is businesses are missing out on 10, 20, 30% of productivity that they should be realizing, but they're not because of this toxicity that goes on in the workplace and it's got to change. And people just need awareness of what's going on. You know, I think, I don't think it's so hard for men to make the change if they, if they become aware of it and listen, you know, read your books and listen to what I'm saying. I, I speak, I, I have got a book. They have to understand what their role is. And again, they have to show real masculinity, doing the tough things that are challenging and knowing that not everybody's going to agree with them. But that's what has to happen in order for progress to be made. So I hear you. Um, let me talk about your father as a man. Was he tough on you? Did he ever show you love, discuss his emotion and feelings, spend time talking to you about what it was to be a man? I love my dad. My dad is an amazing man. Uh, he wasn't tough on me at all. But as I mentioned, my parents divorced, so I didn't grow up with my father. So there's, you know, there's, I love my dad. It was really a matter of, I didn't, my parents got divorced. I didn't grow up with him. So I wasn't around him as much as I wanted to be. And that was, as I mentioned, the adult figureheads in someone's life where their parents get divorced what's the perspective? What's the perspective of the child of that new parent? What's the perspective of that parent on that new child? Can they really accept one another? So 
I'm not, it's not, it's to me, Tim, it's a matter of, like I said, awareness, understanding. My stepfather had a difficult, he expressed his love and, and, and affection differently than other people. He didn't really show it. But I'm not, my intent is to understand why. Why did, why did he display it that way? For me, it was a rejection because I, as a, as a youngster, I needed the support of a stepfather and it didn't seem to be there on the surface. But if I break down the barriers and understand why and the way he was raised, it all makes sense. Sure. Because that's the way he was taught. My father was a very successful football coach. I, you know, growing up on a, when I spent time with him, I would spend time on the sidelines at the, at the high school football games, watching him coach. It was great. It was awesome. On the gridiron, all these guys playing football. It was the greatest thing ever. Um, but, uh, you know, my dad's, even though he was a very successful football coach, he's very loving and compassionate. And I think that's what made him successful because he, he loved his players. And after he retired, I saw that when they threw a surprise 80th birthday party for him decades later saying how amazing he was. His strength was his ability to get his players to step up. And he had the only undefeated season in the school's history, which is pretty awesome. But they carried his lessons with him decades later, later as they become became parents and ran businesses. They reflected on what he taught them. I care in a way I somehow carry that with me to help people elevate. He's awesome in doing that. And that's a male thing. It's a leadership thing. It's a coaching. I played sports. I had, I had coaches that were complete jerks. And I was a, I like to think I was a very talented athlete, but they lost me because they couldn't, they led by the male macho, you know, blah, 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 which is okay, but doesn't not, doesn't work for everybody. And real leaders Find a way to lead with love. That's right. And so to answer your question, my dad's awesome. My dad's very loving, very compassionate, and he showed how to lead a bunch of guys on the gridiron to come together and and they and they carried those lessons in their life. That's how you change. When you are able to break the cycle and lead with love, your those people will carry it with them forward. Yep. But it's a matter of being able to wake up, like to your point, and okay, can I, not to say there's something wrong with me, but how can I improve this? Can I, but also as a leader, you have to be aware of what's going on. If you're not aware and people don't make you aware of what's going on, it will never change. So back to your point about work, Carl Icahn talks about that in Tony Robbins' book, Money. He talked about mediocre management. That's why these companies stink because this good old boy made it into management and he doesn't care. And he's there in management because he's a good old boy and he's there for the title and the ego. He's not a leader. That's loser leadership. Mm-hmm. So uh, you asked me a question about my father, but um, you know, it's uh, but I think what you're getting at is, where's the foundation of support for someone? How, how are you brought up? Because if you're brought up, from the, you know, the foundation of, you know, go out and don't cry, don't show your emotion. You know, there's, there, you know, you, you don't come off the field unless you're showing bone, blah, blah, blah. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's that's not my thing, but um, it, it is about being able to be a male role model and to, you can lead, you can be a tough leader as long as it's love. If your energy is not aligned with love and you're a leader and you're a complete, I'll keep my language clean, but you're an antagonist, I'll use, you could choose another A word. That's where the challenge is. And then that leads to kids being brought up to believe that that's the way they're supposed to be. And they'll teach that way, or they believe they're not good enough because that's not who they are. They want to be like that, but they want to do it a different way. Briefly, I just want to touch on leadership. Here's how I look at leadership after trying for 35 years, I finally figured it out at the end. I, with my each team member, figure out what it is they need to do to be successful in their job. We agree on that, sign off on it. And then my job is to help them get their job done and, and inspire them. I'm not the authoritarian. I'm not going to say do this or, or not. They're going to go figure out what they need to do to be successful. And I will help them to make that level appear. So that's how I look at it. But now I want to flip the spotlight on you as a father and ask you how you characterize yourself as a father. Are you easy? Are you tough? Do you lose your cool, yell and scream? Do you show love and emotion? How do you look at that? Um, I lose my patience with, patience with my kids. <laughs> it's normal. Yeah. It, it, it's a matter of just saying that's, that's, that's the way it is. To, to say, well, you know what, I'm a perfect parent. I don't raise my voice with my kids. I, I think that that's, I won't say a lie, but you've got to live in the real, real world. They're kids. Kids, I, I bring, you know, decades of life experience. A kid shows up. They, well, have never been in this physical form before as this person. They come into the world. Everything's new to them. Their perspective is new. And so kids always are there not to challenge parents, but their perspective is different. They're seeing things differently for the first time. And then they go through the, the, the brain development phase and the ego. My almost 14 year old doesn't want to be seen with me because I'm her father and I'm embarrassment. She's at that age where kids do that. And so um, I do my best as a parent. You know, I, I lose my patience with them and I'll, I'll raise my voice and yell at them, but then I'll come back to it and say, wait a minute, why did I do that? And I'll come back to my daughter and say, listen, you know, when I raised my voice, it wasn't intended at you. I brought in an energy and I'll, it's kind of a joke. My oldest one will press my buttons. And that's the way she is. She gets me riled up because that's just the way it is. I walk out of her room because it's a mess. She won't clean it up. I go into my other daughter's room and she's the opposite. She is a wonderful, they're both wonderful, but they're just, their personalities are different. I carry the frustration from my oldest daughter to my other daughter's room. <laughs> and then she gets the brunt of it. And then I walk out and say, why did I just do that? And I go back to her. I say, I hope you understand that 
you did nothing to deserve that. I carried this anger into the room with you and you, I gave it to you. And she thinks I'm crazy, but she gets it now because I'll, I'll call myself out on it. And so, you know, I'm doing my best and I'm loving. I hug my kids. I laugh with them. I'll be a jerk and my daughter will tell me I'm mean, which is great because I want her to tell me, well, why am I mean? Like, what does that mean? What did I do? And that's a great spot for me to check myself because in the past, kids were apparently brought up to be seen, not heard. So for a kid to say that to her father, say you're mean, generations ago, she would have probably been smacked and punished. But why would I do that? Because to me, I'm then, then I'm stifling her, her desire to grow and want to learn more. So yeah, I might get upset with her. I might make her cry because I lose impatience because I don't understand her mindset. But I'm willing to say, look, I'm sorry. I apologize. I, I didn't mean to do that. Now, from a man who's a parent to say, I'm sorry that I got, I yelled at you. That's a no, that's a no, no, but I'll do it. And then people say, well, maybe you're giving them too much control. They get too full of themselves. No, life happens the way it's supposed to happen. And so as a parent, I'm doing my best. Uh, nobody's perfect. And I always say life's perfection lies in all of its tiny imperfections. We're, we're kidding ourselves if we're waiting for this perfect moment and opportunity. And that's where I got lost and most people get lost because we're waiting for that perfect thing. And it's right here and it's right now. But we miss this right now because we're looking somewhere else. I call it mindlessness, man, in my upcoming book. He's like some Marvel comic action, anti action, anti hero. He's lost in mindlessness because he's worried about what happened yesterday. He's worried about what's going on tomorrow. He's worried about what people think and he misses every moment of his life right here and right now. And everybody, most people are mindless because they're lost in their phones, they're lost in social media posts and they do not know who they are. And there's a lot of lost people out there. Yep. I'm going all over the place, Tim, to answer your question, but you know, um, I, I mean, my daughter last night said, hi, oh, man, dad, I hate, I hate dad. I said, why do you hate me? You don't hate me. She's like, I know I don't hate you. I was just upset, but it's creating that awareness because if kids, I want my kids to become upset, but to also understand why, because um, a lot of this stuff comes from my mentors. I, something silly that I talk about is called eraser bear and the barrel of fears. Because Tim, if you're upset, if you're a anybody's angry, and they're, I mean, living yourself. You want to kill somebody. You want to punch them in the face. Take all that anger, all of it, and go find a bag or a bucket or a barrel and just dump it in there. I got this from Wayne Dyer, one of his speeches years ago. Take it. Fill it up. I did this with my daughter. Take all your anxiety and your fear and fill it up. Because before you leave the house, you don't, you want to dump it out. You don't want to take it with you, right? So, Take it all, dump it in the trash, and then go on your way. And when you try to dump it in the trash, what happens? There's nothing there. They don't exist. You cannot hate yourself. You cannot be angry. It's all in your head. Once you realize that, and you say, I have a choice. I could actually, I, I could be right, 
where I can be happy. I choose happy, but you have to, you have to be aware yeah. in order to do that. I was saying mistakes are the seeds of greatness. I mean, how do I know what I'm supposed to work on if I don't make a mistake? Yes. And that's something they're starting to teach in schools and universities because people are afraid of failure and it's, it's a societal thing. If you're not number one, you're a loser. And it's such, again, that's a lie. Yeah. And kids are brought up. And I talk about it in my book. I spoke at my daughter's elementary school and I tell the story about my daughter in first grade getting one word wrong on a spelling test. The word was nutrition. In first grade, and I said, I don't even know how to, I have to pronounce it properly, let alone spell it. And I said, well, why are you upset? She said, my classmate got all of them right. And I, I got one wrong. What's your, and I said, well, what's your thought process? And I'm telling this to an auditorium of hundred, a couple hundred kids in elementary school. I'm telling this story. And she's, I'm like, why are you upset? Because, you know, my classmate got them right. I'm a failure. I said, no, listen, Jordan, here's the deal. You were actually supposed to get it wrong. And she looks at me, what are you talking about, dad? You were supposed to get it wrong because you'll never forget how to spell. You'll never misspell nutrition again. So we look at getting it wrong as a failure and a loser. It's a, it's a way to learn, to say, oh, that's why. Okay, but our, we're brought up to be like, you're a failure, you're a loser. But when I told that story to all these kids, they're like six six years old, seven years old, eight years old, nine years old. I say, I said to him, what do you think my daughter was saying to herself? And I remember two of these sessions, two different schools in the front row, a little boy raises his hand, both sessions, sessions. And he go, and I say, what do you think she said? And he raises his hand. And he says, I'm bad. And I, I started to tear up and I asked another kid, I said, what do you think she was saying? I'm stupid. This auditorium of kids who, where do they learn this at such a young age, starts to, this auditorium is filled with self-doubt. And all these kids, I'm stupid, I hate, my, I'm, I'm, I'm bad. Where does that come from until a little kid in the back, a little girl raises her hand and she says, I gave it my best. That's a whole different story. Not to say that these kids are not going to amount to anything, but that girl in the back is probably going to have an easier life and be more successful, or at least uh, enjoy her successes because she gave it her best versus I'm stupid. I'm bad. I'm a failure. That's a challenge. We carry that into adulthood. We just don't know it. Yep. So it's, it's to, just to be aware, to pause in that moment to say, why am I feeling this way? Is it really exist? Can I actually put this negative feeling in a bucket and dump it in the trash? And you realize it doesn't exist. It's all in your head. Okay, how can I retrain that? That's where you know, having a life coach or meditating or doing EFT tapping comes in. And you can even mirror work and you can retrain that. And your awareness elevates because it'll still be there. Your old habitual ways will be there and it happens with me, but I'm able to stop in that moment and say, wait a second, why did I do that? Why did I feel that self-sabotaging thought? Why did I yell at somebody and to man up and say, sorry, and mean it, not sorry. I'm just saying it because I'm supposed to say it because you mean it and say, this is why I did that. It wasn't directed at you. It was actually, 
my misinterpretation of myself or the scenario, the possibilities are wide open. Yeah. All right. One last question, Tom. Personally, how do you describe masculinity? Uh, yeah. Um, masculinity is the old school definition of it, right? <laughs> so, but for me, it's to be able to, to love someone, to be able to say to somebody, if you're in a, if you're in a heated situation where you want to punch them and you want to knock their lights out to hit them with a hug instead and say, I love you and to hug them could, because that changes everything. Um, but you still are a man, right? You, you do your man things. You, I'm not saying you don't go and I love to exercise and work out because it, it feels good for my body. I still do that. That's a man, manly, masculine thing. I'll do that. But for me to also say, Hey, look, I love you. And I'm, I'm sorry for what I said or what I did. I'm trying to become better. That's me being vulnerable. A masculine man is not supposed to be vulnerable, but their strength is being vulnerable and yep. still being, a, being masculine and strong because our strength is love. Two things I add to that. Number one, men have to have a sense of humor. Not everything, life is not to be taken so seriously. Life is to enjoy. Yes. And number three, uh, men have to have some type of connection with a spirituality of their choice, whether, no matter what it is, whatever their choice is, something that they can use to ground them, to, to connect to, and when you have all three, you know, to me, that's, that's a real man. So that's Benjamin Zander. I don't know if you heard the story from Benjamin Zander, rule number six, but that's exactly it. Don't take yourself so damn seriously. Yeah. And one thing I didn't mention, you're right about that is spirituality. Yeah. That's a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, is you can call it whatever you want. God, Chi, Prana, Jesus, Buddha, whatever you want, but you have, you have, I believe you have to align with some sort of spirituality and I've aligned with that. I've studied different spiritual cultures or religions. When you boil it down, they all believe in the same thing. And that's, and that's the thing is they all kind of set each other apart and against one another sometimes, which is incorrect. It's not the right way, but if you boil it down, and it's love, but it's not the love that we abuse and just throw love around all over the place, but it's, it's love. It's source energy. It's what keeps us in harmony. Thanks, Tom. Uh, I think your story is remarkable. And uh, I think you're a role model for the world today. And I appreciate you taking the time. Um, do you have any final thoughts you want to share with the audience? No, I just want to thank you, Tim, for doing what you're doing and, and the opportunity to, to be here to speak with you today. And um, I, I would love everybody's support. Please visit my website, tomcorner.net. That's Tom, T-O-M, corner, C-O-R-N-E-R.net. Um, check out some of my stuff. Please think about buying one of my books because 
Uh, it does cost me money to do these things. <laughs> so, but I would love your support. And if there's anything I can do, or if anybody would like me to come out and speak with a group, please uh, contact me uh, via my website. And uh, that's it. Just um, keep your head up. Love is our real strength. Great. Well, listeners, look out for our podcast, Time Out for Mental Health, wherever you get your podcasts, including the Mental Health News Radio Network and HealthyLife.net. And keep your eyes out for my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a book about relationships, depression, suicide, and how toxic masculinity affects relationships between men and women. And contact me for speaking engagements through my website, timcrass.com, T-I-M-K-R-A-S-S.com. And don't forget to have fun, everybody. <laughs>